Welcome to episode 44 of the Clean Sport Collective podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung, and I'm excited to have a guest host join me today as we have Adam Goucher, Kara's husband, joining me as guest host because we have a very special guest, and Adam knows him well as a competitor. We've got Bob Kennedy on the show. Bob is a two-time Olympian and one of the greatest American distance runners of all time. He was the first non-African runner to break 13 minutes in the 5K, and he raced in an era of EPO before there was an EPO test, but after EPO started being used as a performance-enhancing drug. So we talk all about his dominance in U.S. distance running in the 90s, as well as, of course, his perspective on racing against those athletes who were not doing things the right way, and perhaps more fun, we get Adam and Bob sharing stories about races that they both raced in, including victories by Adam over Bob and vice versa, and so we get a lot of fun behind-the-scenes conversation from the two of them, and for me as a track nerd, this was a fun conversation. So with that as an intro, let's welcome Bob and Adam to the show. Welcome to the Clean Sport Collective podcast. This is your host, Chris. I've got a guest host with me today, Adam Goucher. Adam, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Chris. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It is good to have you on as a guest host. We've got you on because you've got a relationship with our guest today as a competitor back in the day. So we're excited to hear some of those stories. Bob Kennedy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Great to be here. It's good to have you on, Bob. And it's good for me to be on with two legends of American distance running, both Adam and Bob. So this is going to be a fun conversation for you, Bob. I just wanted to start with a little bit of background in terms of you growing up, you grew up in Indiana. What was it like growing up and how did you get involved in sport? Yeah, I, uh, I was born in Indiana in Bloomington. I actually grew up in Columbus, Ohio or suburb of Columbus, Ohio, Westerville. Um, but my, um, and then came back to Indiana. Um, my dad was a pretty good runner in high school. He was the New Jersey state record holder in the two mile for a couple of years, I think until Marty LaCorey broke it. And then he ran on scholarship at IU. Um, and so I was um, uh, exposed to the sport through uh, my dad, um, but not, but we didn't, I didn't grow up in a, in a family where we, you know, uh, um, lived uh, and breathed running all day long. Um, it was more of uh, um, just being aware. And so I I played soccer and baseball and football. And when I started running track in middle school, uh, you know, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm kind of better than the average. So then you, you kind of, you go from there, right? And then it, it, it just took off. So yeah, it took off pretty well for you, leading to eventually a, a national high school cross-country title in, in the meet that would become later named Footlocker. What was that like as you progressed? Obviously, you were good at it, but how did your love for the sport evolve through that? I uh, um, That's a great question because I don't know if I'm normal in that regard or abnormal. I... Um, I, in high school, I remember running, especially my junior and senior year, a little out of 
fear. And what I mean by that is running from the front out of fear of getting beaten. Um, and, um, and so that is kind of what pushed me to, to, uh, um, I wouldn't even say train harder because I trained as I trained in high school, but um, just how I raced. And, um, and so, but I, I think I am motivated by competition and uh, the rate of race day and uh, winning, but also losing. And that's part of the experience. And, um, and so I was never the runner that, you know, loved the two hour long run or just like, Oh, so great to be out running. And, um, I love track workouts because I thought that was the hard stuff is what got you ready for race day. The reality is everything gets you ready for race day, but, um, and that's kind of where I generated my love and passion for it is, is competition and, and, and trying to be as good as I could be. At what point did you realize you were national level good? Oh, geez. Um, well, I think I always tell the story of when I was a freshman in high school, which was really the first kind of time I didn't, I did a little middle school track, but it was, it wasn't that big of a deal. In fact, in middle school in eighth grade, I ran five sixteen in the mile and my daughter ran five eighteen when she was in eighth grade last year. So <laughs> almost beat me. <laughs> Uh, um, but when I was a freshman in Ohio, um, in cross country, they have the district meet, the regional meet, the state meet. And I was 60 some place in the district meet as a freshman. And that was it. Season was over. And that was great for a freshman. I was like, Hey, great job. Freshman 60, whatever place. And then my sophomore year, I was second in the state meet behind a teammate. And so the jump was huge from my freshman to sophomore year in high school. I also grew six inches, I think, that year. Um, uh, but but even at that time, you know, my goal was, well, hopefully I can win a state championship in Ohio. Um, and then hopefully I can go to a good school and, and, like, win a conference or compete well at the NCAA. But it was really probably my freshman to sophomore year in college that I thought, ah, oh, maybe, maybe it, it's bigger than that. I'd say, I'd say, yeah. I mean, speaking of freshmen in college, you went to Indiana, so you followed your dad's footsteps there. You won NCAA cross as a freshman. One of the, one of a very few who have been able to do that. What was that like? Oh, that was cool. Um, (laughs) Where were you Adam? Second, I think your freshman year, if I remember correctly. Yeah. 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 yeah, Right. Um, I remember that I, I was fourth in the, uh, Back then, they called it the district meet, not the regional, going into, uh, I think, maybe I'm confusing. But I was fourth in the qualifying meet to the NCAA meet. And I remember um, Coach Bell um, from IU going into the NCAA meet saying, he asked me, like, what are your goals? And I, and I said, ah, I'd like to be, you know, first team All-American or I think I said even top 10 to 15. He said, you need to be in top five your 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 ability is you can be top five and so uh race goes off and uh it was in ames iowa and um yeah it was you know it was brutal like, <laughs> it wasn't bad for ames iowa i think it was like 40 it was cold but um yeah. and we get about five miles into it and there's a pack of about five 
or six that are starting to pull away. And the course was set. It was like five mile mark was in the middle of nowhere. And it just seems like, and I'm sure it wasn't this way, but in my mind, coach bell like pops out from behind a bush. Right. And he's like, <laughs> he's like, this is the race right now is the race. And, um, and I caught that pack and, and then ended up outlasting and out sprinting, um, uh, a young, uh, uh, I think he was an Iranian descent from Clemson, um, in the hmm. final few hundred meters. But, um, but back when you're 18 and your coach says, this is the race, you like, you, for me and my person, I was like, oh, okay, he, he knows what he's talking about. I guess this is where I have to go. Right. And, um, and so winning that just, um, just opened my mind to, oh, now, oh, now the expectations for myself, but from others are also different. Now, I, I, I remember, um, of course, I, we, Chris and I, before we, you hopped on the phone, we talked about, like, he asked when the first time was that I remember, you know, like, hearing about you or knowing that you existed. And that was, I mean, you're, I think, six years ahead of me. Um, yeah in school. Um, but I remember being in, I think it was in, in high school. Um, and, uh, you know, you were the, you were the man and, um, that, that type of, I mean, you were pretty much when you came on the scene, I mean, you had a few ups and downs, obviously through college, but, um, you, you, uh, you really kind of didn't look back after, I mean, you were, unbeatable when it came up from any Americans like just when when did that confidence did you have that point do you remember that point where you're just like I can just can beat everybody I can just take anybody on and I'm I'm just not yeah. afraid I'm just gonna do yeah. it I that's a great question because um I think that's just I think that's partially innate in someone and then I think mm -hmm. it's partially learned and you know I grew up and then had a coach in college in Sam Bell who there's just no excuses. Mm -hmm. just, we don't, we don't allow ourselves to have an excuse. Like if you win, great job, learn from it, keep moving. If you lose, it's no one else's fault, but yourself. Right. It's, it's, and so, um, so I like, I, I kind of have a personality, but also pride myself even today in this, range of emotions that's not wide swings um i enjoy success i don't get too down on failure and i keep moving forward what's next what's next what's next and i'm trying to impart that with my teenage kids and they i feel like they're getting it too but and so when you have that and that's how you operate every day then you're always moving forward or, or you're attempting to move forward, right? That doesn't mean everything's always perfect or you don't always make the best choice. Uh, but more times than not, you do make the best choice moving forward. And so when, mm -hmm. when you have that, you set yourself up for what you just described as um, being able to perform at the highest level anytime you step on the track or the course or the road. And then I also had Sam Bell and I, I kind of still, even when he stopped coaching me and even today, I go back to mantras of, he used to always say how, how, how you feel has no bearing on how you race. And he used to say, you can't expect to do something in race that you haven't done in training. And mm -hmm. so just kind of like 
I'm ready. Like, oh, and he used to also say, um, you know, some people stand on the starting line hoping they're going to run well, and champions standing on stand on the starting line knowing they're going to run well. And 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 when you kind of live that and think that and believe that, then you set yourself up for that, right? Um, and that doesn't mean you don't get beat and you don't uh, have failure, but it's it's because someone was better than you on the day or you, you know, some other factor, not because you beat yourself. I had the same exact conversation with my daughter. My daughter is turning out to be a pretty good runner. She was fifth in the Indiana cross country championships this fall as a freshman running like 18, 19 miles a week, you know, very little. And, and, and she just has this, like I, I said it to someone, I'm like, there doesn't seem to be a stage that's too big for her. And it's a lot of those things. It's like, I'm, I'm, this doesn't bother me. I don't care who's in the race. I don't care how fast they've run. I'm going to step up and see what I've got. And, uh, and I said to her, she was on the track yesterday working out. Like, we don't even know if we're going to have a high school track season this year, but she's still plugging away. And mm-hmm. she warmed up and, and I get to coach her now because no one else can be around, right? And so, <laughs> and so um, she didn't feel great. And I'm like, well, what, what are you going to do? What would you do if it was race right now? She said something about warming up. I'm like, no, race is starting. What are you going to do? And she goes, I'm going to run the race. I go, that's exactly right. And that's the only thing you should be thinking about right now. And so it's that kind of mentality and thought process of not allowing these negative things to come in. Um, that allow you to maximize your opportunity, whatever that is. I feel like I just rambled right, uh, incoherently for five minutes. <laughs> no, you're not. You know, you make complete sense. It's 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 great. I I completely understand what you're saying. Um, what about you, Chris? Do you do you get what? You, does that make sense to you? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it reminds me honestly a lot of you, Adam, in <laughs> in terms of the conversations we've had about your mentality. So there's there's a lot of similarities. And the two of you, the one thing I want to know, though, you know, Bob, you win freshman year. You didn't win again until your senior year. Yeah. Obviously, you had success throughout college, but there were some ups and downs. Were there ever moments of doubt where you thought, well, maybe I'm not as good as I thought I was? Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm not, I think the other part of that is I'm not sure I knew how good I was. I, I'm not sure when I was a sophomore in college, I thought I would hold the American record and take the lead in the Olympics with two laps again. Like, I'm not sure I was thinking what that looked like. Right. Um, kind of was more living in the here and now. Um, uh, and so I think being in cross country, I, I won, I was fifth, I was third and I won, I think fifth and third to me were disappointing because I wanted to win, but they also weren't a hundredth. Right. And, uh, and, and for me, I mean, I don't want to downplay a hundredth, but for me, that would have been a diff- disappointing performance. So and that's kind of where I really prided myself. And when I was not having my best day, I was still going to be close. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and if I wasn't going to run 13 minutes, I was going to run 13, 10, but I wasn't going to run 14 minutes, you know, um, um, and so I really just, I think that is a mentality 
because and not not phys- I mean, if you're like re- if if you're if you're physically only capable of running 14 minutes and you're a 13 minute runner, then you probably just sit, shouldn't step on the track. Like you should know that, right? Um, but um, but I didn't I didn't it didn't waver me I didn't waver when I was fifth or third, um, and I was beaten by some really good runners too. You know, um, mm-hmm. who, who were having great days. You carried that into what would become a long and consistent pro career. But when you were coming out of Indiana, you'd already had some success on the international stage as a senior. What was it like thinking about that transition to becoming a pro back then? Yeah, I, I, well, (laughs) I was, I'll be 50 in August. I'll just get that out of the way. But, um, (laughs) You know, back in my day, we we didn't have the internet. I I always joke around saying that with my kids, um, but truly, like, like I was not fully aware of what even the financial market was like for a post collegiate athlete that that was have had a, had the opportunity to have a contract or made money running in races. Like, I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know if that was. $25,000 a year or $500,000 a year. And, um, and so, um, you know, signing my first contract with Nike and, and starting to make some money running in races. And I was like, Oh, this is pretty cool. You know, this is, this is, uh, this is probably better than I thought it was going to be given. I had very little to no expectations. Um, right. The hard part, I'm not, I wouldn't say the hard part, but I think the, the um, the interesting and probably most difficult part for most people is that transition from college team schedule resources to professional, where effectively you're kind of on your own, or you got to figure some other way out, uh, uh, um, not out, some other way to do it, um, and sometimes it's still involved with your collegiate coach and, and facilities, but sometimes it's another training group or sometimes you're just on your own. And, you know, that takes some maturity and strength and will to kind of move through that barrier. And I think that, and I'm not as up on it now, what's happening in today's world with that as I was back then, but I think that's a hard thing. You, it's kind of feast or fa- famine. You're either making enough money where you have the luxury of making good choices or you're struggling to pay rent every month, which forces you to do things that maybe you wouldn't do, meaning meaning training or running this race for 500 bucks or 1000 bucks because I need that money, even though I wouldn't normally run that race if I had my uh, well, and I, I mean, I, I remember talking to Todd Williams about that a lot in his early days mm-hmm. professionally, he was running road races to pay rent. And, uh, wow. and, and I was fortunate not to be in that situation right out of college. And so that exists and that's hard. Like that's hard for runners to kind of get to the next level if that's how they're doing it. I remember being back then, you know, I mean, when I came out of college and trying to, trying to, think about, well, what, what can I, what can I expect to make, you know, from a contract? What can I, mm-hmm. um, and I ran with Alan Culpepper quite a bit. We were training right. quite a bit and, you know, um, I remember we would talk about it and I mean, he, 
was it was he was a good person to bounce things off of because he was already running professionally and knew contracts for the most part and you know what he is experiencing and you know i i completely remember that it's i think it is better now but back then just you know and it could have been rumored but you know what people were making and what where you would think people that definitely were top three in the country on a regular basis were still not making very much money <laughs> Right. Um, yeah. So, you know, is it, um, I think it's hopefully a little bit better now. Um, but anyway, I, wonder, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was, I don't know if I was lucky. I'm, I'm, I had good contracts that were, I had, I basically had three, four year contracts with Nike and one, mm -hmm. and, um, and I had rollovers and, um, and so, um, rollovers on uh, base compensation and so i i was making pretty good money um pretty quickly mm -hmm. but i think the four-year contract was so rare right and so i had the like i said it's all about it's all about what what world are you living in where you that affects the decisions you're making so that you're you're preparing for you know, an Olympic games two years from now, can you, can you really truly prepare the, the way you feel best and not worry about paying your rent or mortgage or whatever expenses you have? Um, and most people would have to probably say, no, I can't do that. Like I have to get to right. the end of the year and hopefully get another contract for next year. And so I was, and I don't know what your structure was. I was lucky that my four-year contracts were four-year Olympic cycle, basically. Yeah, yeah. I I think I was I think I was pretty lucky in the sense that um, I actually initially, I mean, I I started with Fila. Yeah. Um, they promised, you know, they were. I remember they were that yellow and black uniform? <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> I, I stood. It stood out, man. It was flashy. <laughs> um. <laughs> It was flashy. It was, uh, I ultimately, I mean, I took a, I, I was not, you know, promised, but they were like, we want to, we are getting committed to being in the running industry and we're built, we want to build it around you. And so, you know, we want you to be our flagship athlete. And, you know, I, I was, I was excited about the idea of being a part of that, you know? Right. And, um, ultimately I took a smaller deal up front. My, my, my base salary starting out with Fila was, was probably 20 grand less than what, um, yeah. what I was offered by Nike and, yeah. but I took it and, um, but it had such, it was structured in such a way where it was like, when I performed at my ability, it was, I was bonus and, and then rollover bonus. So by the end of my first year, I was, I was mm -hmm. making, I was doing really good. Yeah. And, um, you know, and way better than I would have been had I gone anywhere else. So it was a, it was a good, I think I was very lucky, uh, to, to kind of be able to do that. But, um, yeah, anyway, it's a, the, the scene is crazy now. Um, I mean, currently, uh, knowing some top athletes coming out of CU right now that, um, we're kind of just notified that, yeah, no shoe companies are bringing yeah. on any athletes this year. So, yeah. um, you know, these, 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 these athletes that were getting ready to graduate and thinking they're going pro are like, well, shit, now what do I do? And yeah. 
I guess they have the opportunity to go back to see you. Um, to I do sure a, you know, yeah, you've been hearing that. Yeah. So, yeah. um, I think it's kind of like, what do you, what other options do you have? Um, you know, you kind of, it, it's like gotta be pretty tough to be in that situation. I mean, you, you know, thinking, I mean, I know when it was like, I was like ready to be done and start making money. It was, <laughs> I was like, I need, I need money. <laughs> I'm ready yeah. to be done. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure that these, these athletes are the same way. Um, but well, on top of that, they, there's no jobs right now. So now yeah, no one's hired. Yeah. Right? They don't have a shoe contract. There are no jobs out there. Um, and so hopefully they can figure that out short term, get through it short term. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious, Bob, when you went pro, obviously you'd been competing in the U.S. collegiate system. Was there a difference going from that competitive field to the international competitive field? And did it require a raising in your game at all? Oh, yeah, 100 percent. Um. I'm trying to um, I'm trying to give you the best example. There, so uh, when I, I graduated from IU at um, um, in 1992 uh, after the fall season and um, and signed a contract. So 1993 was my first year. Coach Bell coached me uh, through '94, and I ran 13:02 under him. And then um, I started talking to Kim McDonald. Um, who um, is, you guys are probably aware, uh, was an agent slash coach out of the UK and had a big stable of the best Kenyan athletes, Moses Kiptanui and William Tanui and Paul Koach and a bunch of others, uh, um, Daniel Coleman eventually. Uh, and, and so, um, in fact, I got talking to him at uh, Berlin one year and um he was like, where are you going next? And I think I had just run like 13, 14 or something. Kim McDonald was like, what are you doing next? I'm like, I don't really know. I've got like 10 days from my next race. I don't know where to go. And so he's like, why don't you just go back to our base in London and you can stay there for a few days. And so I did. And, and then and you talked about this earlier, Adam, that the infrastructure that he had in place, which was not a collegiate infrastructure, but mm-hmm. – someone who drove a van who could pick you up at the airport or take you to the track for training. A massage guy was right next door, all these things. And, um, um, and I was like, wow, this is amazing. And like, it's time to go to the airport for the next race. And he's like, Oh, I'll pick you up at noon. Oh, wow. I was just checking out, <laughs> you know? And, and so I ended up going, uh, signing with Kim McDonald after that. And what really the benefit with Kim really was beyond the infrastructure of making all of that stuff easy was training. And so I remember the, never forget the, um, and coach bell was awesome. He's like, yes, you need to go do this. Right. Um, but I, 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 and I left Indiana right before going to Europe this one summer, I think it was the summer of 94 actually. And I did a workout a six by 800. And uh, I remember doing the workout and we started at like 205 and I worked my way down to 159 and two minute recovery, something like that, or 90 seconds, whatever. Right. And mm-hmm. but my point is, so that was the base. And I thought, wow, that that's the best I've done that. I'm ready to go. I feel good about that. I go to Europe. I go to England with the Kim McDonald group 
And 10 days later, like I'm doing the first track workout and it's with all these great Kenyans. And we just randomly happened to be doing six by 800 meters. And, <laughs> uh, and we started out at 158, Ooh. right? So we started out at 158 and I, I hung in there at 158, 159 for six of them on two minutes recovery. And it just was like, oh, this is the next level, right? Mm-hmm. This, this is, and it's not, it's so my point is that there are often times we do a run or a workout and we work hard and we ran as hard as we think we could and as fast as we think we could. It's not that we didn't put the effort in. But if, unless you know, uh, because you're exposed with other athletes, what the next level is, you just never know. It's like that old thing of you don't know what you don't know, right? Yeah. And yeah. so as soon as you start running with these guys where they're just, they're going at it, and then all of a sudden you stand on the starting line of Zurich or Oslo and you're like, okay, I got this, right? I think <laughs> I got this. Uh, so it just changes the, the confidence and the mentality. Um, um of 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 that so that so yes the answer is yes it's very different um it's 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 a higher level you have to um you have to change i thought anyway for me the way i thought and approached training and racing and it became a, a business which which towards the end was a problem but maybe we can get to that later yeah <clears throat> When you say it was a business, what does that mean? What did that, how did that translate into your own operating mode? Well, I think it's, it's a, it's a, it's a business in the sense that it's a job in the sense that you have to execute to a plan, right? So Mm -hmm. practice was at a certain time and massage was at a certain time and, you know, I always joke that one of the great benefits of doing our job was you get, you should nap during the day. Right. That's like, I want to nap. Well, I have to nap because that's part of my job. Right. Yeah. Um, what other jobs can you say that with? Very few. Um, and so, but, but it's, you know, you, you, you will see or hear or listen to people saying, um, you know, rise up and, and, uh, 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 and, um, you know, it's like this emotional performance, right? Like I just, oh, it just emotionally, I I was on a raw a, a wave and I performed well, but for me anyway, that didn't work. Like I was very methodical about preparation and execution, and literally at the starting line of races, not in college but post collegiately. I would say to myself right before the gun went off, execute, execute, execute. And to, it was just like, go ahead and execute now. Like, what's the first 200 look like? What does the 400 look like? Where do I want to be at a K, you know? And then, and then just try to hit those if I could. And to me, that was what I mean by it's a job. Like, it's not just, I'm going to go out here and run as fast as I can today, right? That would yeah. be great, but it just didn't work that way. Let's talk about the 96 Olympics in Atlanta in front of the home U.S. crowd. I found a six-minute highlight clip on YouTube today that was pretty awesome to watch. You ended up sixth on the race. 
it seemed like from the from the clip that the atmosphere in the stadium there was pretty electric. What was that race like for you? Oh, it well, it was electric. Uh, um, it was electric, and yet I don't remember a lot of the electricity. <laughs> um, so, uh, and what I mean by that is. Um, and sorry, I'll, I'll ramble for a second, but, um, or a minute. Um, I used to have this thing that worked for me where like race day, when I woke up, I would think of the world being big, like this bubble around me being big. And so I, I tried to live in this, um, where, where things just happen, like normal things happen. You talk to people and you have to deal with these other things. And then, as I get closer and closer to the race time, that bubble would get smaller, right? And so that I was focusing and focusing closer and closer, not all at once because I think it doesn't last forever. And, but then when you're literally, when you're standing on the starting line, that bubble should be just you. Like there's nothing else going on outside of what's happening in your mind and your body right now. And so when you're in that kind of tight bubble, yeah, I didn't hear uh, the roar of the crowd when I took the lead with two laps to go, I didn't hear it in the moment. Um, I was kind of like in my own world. I only heard it watching the race, uh, later. Uh, that's when I got the goosebumps, like afterwards sitting on a couch watching it going, Holy crap, that was amazing. Right. Um, and so, uh, but, but, um, but that race itself was, uh, you know, that was the third race in four days. So in Atlanta, we did a prelim, a semi, and a final, three fives in four days. And so, um, and I knew, you know, so many of those guys, that was such a deep field. And I think they're getting deeper and deeper. But I, there were literally 10, 10 to 12 guys who had legitimate shot at a medal on that day. But I knew that if it was a slow and, and a burner, then um, I didn't have a chance. Adam might've had a chance in that race. I did not have a chance in that race. <laughs> but so I knew that we had to run it out, run it out of people. And so our plan was if the race was slow, we were going to run from home with four laps, run to home with four laps to go. Um, and if it was fast, we were going to wait. And I, cause I could run 54 seconds off a fast race. I could run 54 seconds off a slow race. That was my problem. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, and so we went through, um, we went through three K in eight minutes and I think that's kind of in between fast and slow. And, uh, yeah, it's like uh, medium, yeah. right. And the logical, the logical adjustment, um, would be go with three laps to go, but I didn't do that. So I ran with two laps to go. I ran 157 something, my last 800. And um, wow. and got beat by five guys, yeah. um, five amazing athletes. So. I Bob, I remember this. I remember watching it. Um, so '96 was my first Olympic trials, um, yeah. and I ran the five thousand. And I mean, I just remember after a long season, you know, already it, through NCAA's and going to Atlanta and just kind of being like, yeah, yeah, I'm here. I'm just kind of going through the motions and never thought I could make the team so you know it's like, like i'm gonna go run here as hard as i can and do what i can do and um i'm 
remember in the final getting smoked and um but i i distinctly remember where i was watching you race in atlanta i happened to be i was in cripple creek colorado <laughs> at a casino <laughs> <laughs> and just randomly not because i mean like i've maybe don't go to casinos very often at you know and i just i think it was the first time i'd ever been up there i was with my uh, girlfriend at the time and my sister and you know soon to be you know soon to be brother-in-law um mm-hmm. and, and i and, and your race was on and i just remember i had chills and i was just so in awe of what i was watching and then when you took the lead i was like holy shit and I was just like, oh my God, it was just, it was so unreal. And it was just like, I was so excited, um, obviously for you, but then also for me, I was thinking, I, I got to get there. I got to get, there. I want to get there. You know, it's just like, it renewed, it just gave me this excitement back. And, um, it was just so exciting. And, um, anyway, I just, it's just one, one of those memories, you know, it's funny that I just, I have that in my head. I remember watching that race and where I was and you know you have those moments in life but it's yeah. it's funny that that is one of those moments for me I appreciate, so. I, I appreciate you saying that I I don't I don't I don't think back very often I don't know if that's good or bad but when yeah, I do I don't hear that it was uh it was a special time I'm really proud uh I, I say this to my kids and I um I believe this, like you, you have to walk off the track with your head held high. And, um, and we can get into this later as it relates to clean sport too, but that's a big part of it. Right. It's like, I walked off Atlanta being like, all right, I, I made, I took the shot and I finished sixth, and I'm okay with that. Right. Yeah, sure. I would love to win a medal. Absolutely. But, um, you can't, you have to take the shot. Like I would rather take the shot and finish last than to finish the race six and be like, oh, I never really kind of went for it, you know? And right. I'm, I, when I look back, that's what I think about. You got, you got swallowed up with about 600 to go. And then those mm-hmm. guys. Uh, really 500 now. Come on. Yeah. Okay. 500 to go. <laughs> and those guys yeah. really blasted the last lap. I couldn't help but, think about watching that today adam in his discussions about racing internationally where he'd be in the race in the race in the race and then suddenly we get blown away in the last lap mm-hmm. and that would make him question whether or not something something nefarious was going on with the other athletes the 90s was the epo era in distance yeah. running yeah and there wasn't a test for epo until 2000 so at what, in that on that day, did you know that maybe the, some of those those top five were were probably dirty? Um, you, there's always rumors, right? And um, so two of the guys who beat me were uh, uh, Paul Betok and Tommy Ariki Kenyans, who were in my group. And um, mm-hmm. and you know, you never say anything with certainty, but 100% did I ever, did I, I've never, I never saw or thought anything from that group they were doing illegal. Um, And I also know, because Kim McDonald uh, uh, was very much involved in everything they did, um, and he was adamantly against doping. Um, And so, you know, like I said, you can never be 100% certain, 
but I didn't expect uh, Paul Betok or Tom Eriki. Um, Paul was a freak of nature over the last lap. Uh, Tom mm. was a strength runner, and he basically outleaned me or just went by me for fifth at, right at the end. Um, the other guys, you know, there's always rumors out there. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I learned I learned a, a long time, and then Marcus O'Sullivan helped me with this, more on a contract level. Sometimes you get like, oh, who's making what, and am I making enough? And finally he said to me, He's like, if you're happy with what you got, then you got to just be happy with that, right? And so if you, if I relate that to running, like I just need to focus on what I'm doing because I can't control. Um, I hope someone else is looking into it. I hope someone else is trying to you know, level the playing field. But in the moment, as a 26-year-old athlete, I shouldn't be something that I'm spending energy on. And so... Um, uh, I really lived by that. And I still do. I mean, Kim McDonald um, said to me once, we were talking about drug use and we never, ever talked about doing it. But we talked, he's like, he said to me one day, he's like, if you wanted to, we could go find it. Right. And you'd probably win a medal and you'd probably make millions of more dollars than you're making. He goes, but you got to think about 20 years from now when you're sitting on your couch, how are you going to feel about it? Are you going to be, satisfied and feel good about everything you did was truly you or are you going to wonder if it was the drugs and that has always stuck with me because i'm 25 years past that now and i sit on my couch a lot and um i i look back and uh um i feel good about it i feel good about what i did whether i was sixth or second in the olympics uh, or i just can't worry about that now I just, and, and, and some people, I know some other athletes, it really bothers them. I get that. And I'm not even, I'm not judging. Um, and I hope they're cleaning it up. And I know that's starting to get cleaned up a little bit. I think you guys know more about that than I do. Uh, but for me personally, I'm like, it's done. I'm not going back. I don't even want, if, if they're like, Hey, we suspended all these guys. You won the bronze. I'm like, yeah, I'm 50. You know, it's time to move on. So that's my own personal how I deal with it uh, from from my level. But um, so I didn't think much about it. Well, I think that's good that you didn't. Is it's um, I I think that it's easy to get obsessed about it. I think I was obsessed about it. Um, yeah. You know, I knew I knew you you knew you knew who was. Who was clean? Sure. Who was dirty? There, I yep. mean, you just know. So, um, yeah. and if you can put it out of your head and and not let it in and or allow it to, you know, dictate your thoughts, then that's a that's strength. That's a strength, um, no doubt about it. Um, but I remember, you know, even being back back then for me, just being, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna run as hard as I can. I'm gonna run, do as good as I can do. And I'm going to put it out there and, and it'll be as, you know, it is what it is. Um, and you hope at some point that people get caught type thing. Um, but, um, yeah, it's, it was rampant then it's rampant now. And, um, it's probably just gotten more sophisticated. I bet. I bet. Because there's more money involved now, I think, I believe. Oh yeah. Yeah. Money continues to grow. Then, you know, the motivation and the sophistication 
um, goes with it to to cheat. And unfortunately, um, there are I, I'm I'm a big believer of uh, humans are good. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I start with that, but sometimes you know for whatever reason, uh, greed takes over, and um, or or um, you know. You grew up in a mud hut, and that changes your decision making. I'm not excusing it, but it's different mm-hmm. than the way I grew up, and um, and 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 it's a big deal. And um, I don't. I wish it was level, because honestly, I do feel like if it was a full 100% known level playing field for me, then I, I'll say this: I think there was a good chance I was an Olympic medalist in that regard. Yeah. But I'm not, and uh, <laughs> and like I said, I'll be 50 in August, and um, I got two beautiful children, and uh, uh, and life is life is good. We've got to talk about the Adam versus Bob Kennedy head-to-head battles here. Yeah, you guys had some pretty epic ones. Started with a little bit of changing of the guard in 1990. Well, I guess it didn't start there, but. You know, the first one I want to talk about is 1999 when Adam beat you for the first time in the 99 U.S. Championships 5K, out kicking you down the down the stretch. Yeah, what was that race like for you? Well, I I'll say this: I remember that, uh, um, and um, I talked to Todd Williams and I've known each other for a long time, and we talk a lot about this. But I've I've for decades now said that when you when you when you kind of run a lot faster than most of your american uh counterparts you can you can dictate some things from the middle of the pack from the front of the pack and so you might be a go out in a race and like you you throw a surge in a lap seven of a 5k and people are like oh there he goes and they let you go and you just kind Mm -hmm. of shut it down and you cruise in from there right and um the two American athletes that I always said, you better show up, Bob, Bob, talking to myself, you better show up with everything was Todd Williams and Adam Goucher every time. Cause they, they were not having any of that. <laughs> and, and, and although in the moments, uh, in the heat of the moment, you're like, well, sh- God darn it. You know, uh, I 100% appreciate it. Like, I think that is part of what makes each of us better. And, um, and I, you know, Adam beating me in 1999 motivated me, um, to try to be better. And, um, and there's nothing bad about that ever, in my opinion. Yeah. So yeah, that was, uh, that wasn't a, uh, Oh no, have I lost it? That was a oh crap. Here's this younger, really good athlete with wheels. You know, what am I gonna do about it? Yeah, and you and you and you adapted. Like, I mean, I beat you at the at USA. So yeah. I, I remember the, the lead up. So we ran uh, the um that three thousand meter at the TFA, I think it was TFA championships. Yeah. It was in on Long Island right um where we were trying to make a pro league and everyone had a number and um i don't think anyone ultimately ever got paid for that i know i didn't um (laughs) so uh 
but I remember that race and coming down to it and being down the stretch. And uh, I think, I don't know when I, I, you know, that was a really, really, really close race for us. And you, and you came back on me the, like the last couple, I passed you maybe with hundred, maybe 200 to go. I think I went and then yeah. uh, chasing a couple, I don't remember who two African um, runners in front of us. I'm not sure who, I don't remember who they were. Um, uh, but I remember just seeing you coming by me out of my corner of my eye and, and, um, being like, Oh man, you know, thinking at that moment that I had you and then, and then you, you got me. And, um, I remember being like, okay, so close, so close, but so bummed yet, you know? And then I, it's interesting. Cause I went, you know, it was on, I recorded it with my VHS tape, the, you know, the following week or whatever it was, or, right. you know, it, and, uh, watching that race and I was like I was trying too hard <laughs> if that made yeah. sense you know like I was like overstriding and I literally remember watching myself and then remembering like I was actually trying so hard and and that I was overstriding it was like everything I was throwing everything into it and and I remember and what I took away from that was I'm gonna when I'm doing my strides and you know especially from between here and now you know I'm gonna focus on shortening my stride and just like actually letting it happen versus like as soon as you give a hundred percent your your form goes to shit it's like give that 99 98 99 percent and you're you're actually where you want to shoot for i love i love hearing you talk about this um because (laughs) when i talk to my daughter about this stuff these are the things i talk to her about and not oh you really got it but i learned that from coach bell in college did most yeah most important thing to do when you're running for home, whether it be with 100, 200, 400, 600 to go, is to relax. And relax, that is so yeah. counterintuitive, right? It's so counterintuitive, yeah. Um, yep. But it is everything. And so I'm always talking to her about staying tall and shortening things up. Stay tall, shorten mm-hmm. things up, and, uh, and, and relax. And um, yeah, hearing you talk about not many people talk about that, which is amazing. <laughs> I don't hear him talk about it. Um, but well, that is so smart of you to catch that. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's something that it's, and I think Coach Bell and Wetmore were, um, had very similar sure, coaching yeah. philosophies, you know. Um, and Mark, you know, Wetmore, he would, he would, his line to me was turn it off, you know, mm, and I like, like think, flipping a switch, turn it off. So, mm-hmm. and, and he, instilled that in me throughout my career. And, and, and when I did that, I ran better, you know, when it came down to head to head at the end racing for that finish line, when, but when I would fight, 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 trying to give my all that last, you know, not really thinking about it, my form would go to shit. Um, I would be overstriding whatever, and then I'd get beat. I wouldn't run it. So I tell that to people, they say, run as hard as you can. I'm like, no, run 98%, 99, 99% as hard as you can. Cause as soon as you click the 100%, you're going to, you're going to lose your form and you're actually going to run slower, you know? So, um, (laughs) uh, anyway, I just, I remember that. And then I remember just being like coming into USA's and being in that, you know, kind of like, I think I approached races similar to you and kind of that bubble as shrinking down and knowing that this was a great opportunity and I was, I was ready to go. And, um, I remember in the race, you, you, you pushing it 
And yeah. the crowd, I remember the crowd was loud. It was in Eugene and yeah. they were loud. And um, I'm the only one, you know, I, I went after you. And I, I, I distinctly remember this and I don't, and maybe it was in mine, but I feel like I kind of, you kind of made your first move and, and you, you broke away from everybody else. And you kind of looked over your, maybe your left shoulder and didn't see me. And then you kind of looked over right and I was like off your right. And yeah. thinking like, oh shit, he's actually there. Like, <laughs> um, well, like I said but, earlier, I'm used, I was used to like making a move and then people. And no one going with you. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, so <laughs> I think it was. Why does he have the audacity? <laughs> I know. What an asshole. <laughs> It was so fun though. I mean, and I mean, I just remember I was like, I can't let him get a jump on me. I can't let him get that jump on me. And then I think it, we were coming up to 200 meters and I was just basically, I was just looking out the corner of my eye and waiting for you to see you come in a view. And that was like my cue to go for me. Yeah. And, and as soon as I saw you make, I went, Nope, it's gone. And I just went, <laughs> but, um, but the thing is, is like, you were such, you're such a smart racer and you could go out there and like your myth, your methodology and your myth has methodical as you were in your races, knowing like, Hey, at this point in the race, I want to be here at this point in the race, I want to be here. Like I definitely didn't look, break races down that specifically, but you know, I remember the next time we went head to head was Zurich and yeah. you, I, you ran, I, maybe 1301 or 1259 right for 10 minutes and I ran 1311. Yeah. I mean, you destroyed me. You you were finishing and I was coming on the home stretch, you know? Yeah. And uh you know, and then you we went to world champs and you kicked my ass again. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, like it wasn't it was like, yeah, I beat you, but it wasn't like you 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 didn't crumble. And that's the type of of leadership and the type of demand you had because it was like you you made you better or made you like realize like I, i'm not going to settle on my lords here i'm gonna i have to step it up and you did and um you made me better you made a whole generation better there's no doubt about it oh thank um, you yeah 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 i love the i love the just what's next right you got beat okay what's next you want yeah. okay that's great what's next right yeah. Yeah. Sorry, you were going to say. Well, you know, I wanted to, Kara wanted me, definitely was like, you have to talk about 2000 Olympic trials. Um, oh, yeah. And, you know, both of us were banged up going in. Yeah. Um, I was 10 days to the prelim. I was 10 days back running. And like, it was, I, I got through on time, barely, you know, to the yeah. final. And I, and, you know, Karen and I were together and, and, um, the, I don't know if it was the day before or the day, I think, or earlier in the day, I can't remember exactly when it was, but you remember my phone, the phone ringing in the, in the hotel room and answered and you, and it was you. And yeah. do you remember the conversation? I, do, do I don't, Adam. I mean, I remember calling. I don't remember <laughs> exactly what we talked about. Well, you, this is what I remember you yeah. saying to me. And, um, cause it stuck to me. I mean, you said, Adam, you said, you and I are the only, are the two most warranted people making this team tonight. Okay. Right. Like, and if we work together, we can, we will, we'll make that team. Yep. 
no one else deserves to be on that team as much as you and I right now. And I was like, thank you for saying that. <laughs> and I was like, Bob, I was like, I, cause you were like, if we just trade laps right off and just push people, we just run hard. Nobody will come with us and we'll just work together. Yeah. And I said, Bob, any other year, I will, I would do that hundred percent with you. But I, I knew that if I were to utilize that strategy, like go with you from the beginning and just push, 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 push. I knew that I wasn't ready to do it and that I wouldn't make the team. Yeah. And I was just like, I can't. And I, you know, you were like, Hey, totally respect it and whatever. But I mean, it was, it was such a powerful moment to me because I felt like, you know, one, you were, you were, you respected me enough to, to call and say, Hey, let's do this together. Um, but two, that you were like, I'm, I'm still doing, I'm going to do what I think I need to do. And, right. you know, you respected I, that I, that I was going to do what I needed to do. 100%. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I do remember that now. And, um, um, yeah. And it's a, it, those are the hard calls, right? So I yeah. was, I was, uh, rear ended. You, you blasted. I, yeah. I was rear ended. I forget the timing, but I had to basically, uh, pars fractures in my back. Um, uh, so that probably was late May, and I similarly only was back running about ten days before the prelim mm-hmm. um, bike, and probably all the stuff you were doing, right? Just trying mm-hmm. to trying to be fit, but I didn't have the natural turnover that I think you had, at least um, as I saw it, and some of the other uh, uh, athletes in the race that day. And I thought that my only chance was to play the card I've already talked about, which is, yeah. oh, there we go. Break everyone's will. And, 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 let, and hopefully this let them run for second or third, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, I feel like Mark Davis really ruined that for me. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Those, I mean, those are things that, and I've, like, you, you, you ran that race the way you thought was going to work out for you or, or you had the best chance of succeeding and it's, and it, it worked for you. And that is amazing. And I have 100% respect for that. Like I, mm-hmm. I would never finish a race and go, well, he should have done it with me. Like that's stupid. Right. We're all, we're all trying to do the best we can. Mm-hmm. And the only way those kind of relationships work is when it is mutually beneficial I remember, I can't even remember which world championship it was, but I, I did that with um, a Moroccan um, um, in a semifinal. It was, mm-hmm. included a bunch of really fast spinners. And I, was, I was like, hey, you and I, we need to get out and, and drop some of these guys. And we did. It was only because it benefited him too, not because he was mm-hmm. doing it. But anyway, back to the, the trials. Um, um, that was probably one of the most, um, there are very few races in my life where I walk off, even in, in failure, like dejected, but that one yeah. uh, hurt and, uh, and it had nothing to do with anyone, right? It had nothing to do with anyone other than my own circumstance and, you know, getting rear-ended by 16 year old kids who were playing with their radio, uh, which mm-hmm. is random right and uh yeah exactly 
um, and no one's fault. And that really hurt me. I'd rather, I'd rather have done something stupid uh, and fail than have the random act be the reason I failed. Um, um, but anyway, yeah. that, that, that was that. So. Adam Adam won those trials for those for those that yeah, did sorry, yeah. I knew that. On that. But Adam, yeah, Adam won in a in a kick finish. Right. Running the race that he needed to run. What was that like, Adam saying, No, Bob, sorry. Can't do um, that. Yeah, I mean it was uh, I was torn because i I was so honored that you know, he felt that I was that we were on a similar level to where him and I could, could run away. And I think if we were both healthy, no doubt sure. about it, right. no doubt about it. Um, and, but I had that and I was just like, man, how awesome is that? You know, I was like honored by it. And, um, on one well, hand and then on the other hand, that call was selfish. I mean, I was trying to look out for myself, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. But I mean, maybe it works for Adam too, but you know, <laughs> well, you know, for me, I mean, I had you calling me on one hand saying you and I can make this team together if we work together. And I'm like, oh, internet, yes, if I were ready, I would, yes, I could do this. And then on the, and then I had Coach Wetmore saying, you need to finish as high in the race as you can and hope that the people that beat you That's right. don't get the, don't get the standard. Yep. Because I had the standard. All right. right. And I was like so pissed off at him for that. <laughs> But he was so realistic because he was, was like, right call. it was the right call. Obviously. It was the right call. Right. Well, I mean, and, and for me, I'm like, how to Mark, I was like, how dare you? Like, what do you mean? You, I'm not going to just sit there and just finish as high as I'm going to, you know, um, and I'm going to win. And, you know, like I buy him, like, it was all about strategy for me and I like not going out too fast and then just letting the, 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 you know, the competitive side, animalistic side of me kick in when it, when it came time to go. And, and that worked, but it ruined me. That race ruined me. I mean, it was, I went so deep beyond what I was physically capable of running on that day, like by my, with my mind that I was never able to get back to that point. I've said this before, but like, I could never, like it hurt me. It, I mean, and it hurt the rest of my, you know, remain remaining of my career did in, in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. It just, you know, I was in chronic fatigue. I would go, I was back in, back in Colorado and tried to just go out for a run and be running like nine minutes a mile and my heart rate would be like 183. Mm. You know, and I'm like, and, think, Holy and, shit. That's, and that's physical. Um, and, but it's also emotional. And um, yes. I, be, I believe, I've been asked a much bunch of times, like why, how did you know when it was time to retire? And I think one of the things that it's hard to explain um, to um, people who haven't done what you and I have done is the emotional investment and cost required. And I knew I was ready to retire when I, when I realized I couldn't invest emotionally. It wasn't nothing to do with, had nothing to do with physical. It was like, I just can't do this anymore. Um, yeah. At that level and at that depth. And, um, and it's similar. I mean, you, you had some physical things as a, as a result of that emotional investment. Uh, but it's, 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 I don't know how to describe it, but it's real. I think it's real. Yeah. Sure thing. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. 
But the one thing, you know, I remember is that was such a tough year. It was, it was tough not having you there. I would have been, I was actually looking forward to being on an Olympic team with you. Um, yeah. Ultimately didn't happen. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, um, wait, do we get to like, talk about 2001 or are we just going to leave? Yeah, that? I was going to say, I mean, <laughs> no, I don't want to remember that. <laughs> so Bob, Bob, yeah, come go, back that's and... what I was getting to. I was getting to that guys. Come on. Okay. All right, go ahead. Let's talk about 2001. <laughs> 2001 Bob gets the better of Adam Adam's oh, still yeah. mad mad about it still mad about it not just you uh, beating him but Culpepper beating him as well probably more, more bad about Culpepper I'm more mad about it yeah I'm more ticked off on Culpepper yeah, he oh, we can have Alan on here he'd admit he just cherry picked you though so. oh he did I mean he <laughs> he did he did so you, you, um, you had a rope-a-dope strategy of sorts in that race. Talk about it, Bob. Oh, uh, I mean, that was another – that was, you know, getting beat by Adam in 1999, having the Olympic trial that I had in 2000. I was struggling emotionally. Um, I had some other minor injuries uh, in 2001, some similar things Adam was talking about of, of just like just didn't feel right, just didn't feel right. and. Um, we were, I was training in May in Palo Alto with, um, Kim and a, a, a group of Kenyans and some others. And, and I just, it just hit me going into, into the trials. I'm like, not trials, but the nationals 2001, which is in Eugene that I got to do something different. Like if I just run a race, he's going to destroy me. And, um, and so I started throwing. I started going back, and at at IU with Coach Bell, we used to do a lot of change of pace in workouts mm-hmm. and in races. And um, and so I started incorporating some of that into my training with Kim's. You know, I talked to Kim about it, and uh, and then when the race came, I was like, I just I gotta run this out of him. I gotta like I I gotta. Fit. I don't know if Adams ever trained this way or raced this way. I don't know. Like I have no idea, but this has got to be a total shock to him. And so oh, it was. we went, we went out. <laughs> yeah. We went out in the first, basically 2k was whatever it was. Um, and then I just started alternating 400s and I, I don't know what I actually ran, but my goal was to run like 62, 68, 62, 69. Um, and, um, we used to call those in and outs. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the the key the key to doing that successfully in a race I did it I actually did it in the 1992 NCAA cross country championships with Cap Corey. The key to doing that in a race is you, you you've got to bring people with you on the tempo change, right? Yeah, if, yeah. If you're the only one tempo changing, then it's not good. Yeah. Um, and so it's a it's a little bit of smoke and mirrors and um. And you have a pattern, and then you change the pattern, and um, and that's what I did. And uh, and and Adam came with me, and because he's a fighter, right? He's like, I'm not going to go, go. And and then when the pattern, whether you uh, whether you recognize the pattern or not, um, when I think there was a point where I was supposed to slow down based the pattern, I just kept going, and. Um, mm-hmm. And, and and a lot of times the hard part of running a race like that is when you're running against really good athletes, uh, you don't really drop them. 
uh, but you just you run it when they go to for that last bit, it's not there. Uh, yeah. And so um, that worked. And and today, uh, to date, that is one of my most satisfying races ever. Oh, well, I'm glad but, I could be a part so thank of that. You. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, as much as Olympic final, as much as American records, um, to me oh, that yeah, was, man. Yeah, to me that was one of those like I wasn't a hundred percent fit. Um, I was mm-hmm. fit. I was fit, but uh, and I, I, I felt really good about that. So thank you, thank you for helping with that, Adam. Yeah, oh, hey, I'm glad I could help you. But <laughs> no, I mean that's just a perfect example of the of the fighter you are and, and your tremendous talent level. And um, I mean, I that that totally, you know, I never trained like that, and that's to. To, to this day, to this day, I mean, in my entire career, like that was one thing that when it came to, you know, those pace changes and stuff, like, cause we, I, you know, I just never did it. And, yeah. um, so when I get in a race where that would happen, um, inevitably it would never, you know, it would never be great. It would never be great for me. But, um, but I, well, but I think Alan should be thanking you because, yes. Because yeah. because of that, he exactly cherry picked me off at the end. Right. And I was like, yeah. God appreciated yeah. me. I'm not, sure so I I'm not sure I got a thank you from him, but you know. Like, <laughs> should get that. You should seek that out. Yeah, come on, man. I'm gonna, I'm sure. Call. Call. <laughs> there oh, there is a pretty good picture that I sent Adam today of that podium. With oh, yeah. you on you on top, Alan, there on the silver medal spot, and Adam <laughs> very dejectedly. <laughs> getting his bronze yeah <laughs> yeah but you know it, it, i'm like bob you know you kind of especially then where you just kind of it wasn't my day um you're definitely pissed about it but you're just like okay it's not you know move on yeah and um well, I think, so, I think uh, um and i'm sorry if we're running out of time i think that one of the things i've loved about my career running was people friends like adam and todd and alan culpepper and a bunch of others steve holman and uh it, it, when you ra- when you raced people and if you got beat you you tipped your hat you're like damn it you that was good today and then you go back mm-hmm. and you're like, i'm never gonna let that happen again right mm-hmm. and so and and maybe you did or maybe you didn't but it, it was a lot of respect it was a lot of understanding that we're all like super competitive wanting to be uh, like, we would just go at each other on the track and then it didn't really, I didn't feel like it carried over. Right. It was great. Yeah. And, yeah. and the ability, and I talked, I've talked to other people about this over the years, the ability to turn that on and off is very hard. Uh, but I think very vital, right. The ability to be like, Hey, it's race day. Adam, I really like you and respect you, but I'm going to try to beat your beat your ass today. Right? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And Absolutely, you're doing the <laughs> Yep, I love it's it. So true. Yeah. So we do have to wrap it up soon. So you retired in 2004. Yeah. Dropping out of New York as as your last start line, I believe, and then yep. kind of got away from the sport, not just following the elite side, but also running yourself. I know you you kind of just yeah. stopped doing it. What, what was that like for you? 
Yeah, I think that was, uh, um, <clears throat> I talked earlier about the emotional investment and, uh, uh it also coincided with uh, my, my twins were born in January of 05. Um, so that was a blur for, you know, however many months, um, till I brought my head above water again. But, yeah. um, the, I just, I didn't feel like it, you know, mm-hmm. I just. I didn't, I didn't love running in the sense that I love being out here for an hour run or it's peaceful. I, I ran to compete and it took me years to, to, to learn that, to kind of figure out how to run and, and uh, appreciate running for what it was. And I have this mantra now uh, that's just, I just don't want to suffer anymore. And so... <laughs> So when I do run now, which isn't a ton, I'm running like two, sometimes three days a week. But when I do, I love it. Um, And if it starts to get hard, I just slow down. I'm like, well, I don't need to go faster, right? And that took a long time to figure out a lot. Um, And so I've found a new place, and especially in retail, running retail. You know, this world is – running is such a great sport. Uh, for so many people and yes Adam and I were blessed to be able to compete at the highest levels uh, but I almost get more satisfaction of watching a customer a friend a colleague uh, start from scratch and and try to figure this out and then run a half marathon in two and a half hours and the the emotional joy and sense of accomplishment from that person is so amazingly rewarding. And um, and that's where I appreciate running today. And now my daughter's a pretty good runner, and that's kind of bringing me back a little bit, but, uh, uh, but, but I have a slightly different perspective. And I just want her to love it, right? That's it. And wherever she does, high school, college, beyond, who cares? But um, so that's, yeah, I, I struggled. I put on a lot of weight. I haven't lost it all, but I lost some of it. <laughs> Just trying to trying to love, love life. And you're healthy though. I mean, you, you can go out and run like your body's not. Yeah. Hurt. yeah. Like like yeah. me, I my knee is destroyed. Uh, that's did. what basically ended my career. Is that's yeah. where I was finding like all right, enough's enough, and uh, like bone on bone. Yeah, my, yeah so I, I had a meniscus uh, repaired a year and a half ago. Um, but it's all good now. So, That's but I'm good. also not, I'm running like, you know, 12 miles a week. So. Yeah. <laughs> what do you want for the future of your sport? Let's say for your daughter, if she did want to pursue it, what, as you reflect back on your career and yeah. what you know of the current scene at the highest levels, what do you want to see, especially as it relates to the clean sport side of things? Yeah. Well, I, I think, I think, um, it's like anything in life. I, I want her to have opportunities to um, um, pursue a passion, right? And so my daughter, yes, but anyone. Like if this is something you're super passionate about, uh, I hope there's not barriers uh, in the way that um, that that are meaningless. So uh, drugs and sport would be one, right? And um, um, finances would be another um, opportunities, whether it be, you know, the, 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 the success and, um, um, 
thriving of the sport in general um, is 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 something that you know she and other athletes can't necessarily control when they're in the thick of it. Right? They mm-hmm. just are are um, passengers, and I I want her to be able to pursue a passion and then um, be ready to be done with it when she chooses to be done with it. And that's the, 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 the further you progress in a sport that often doesn't happen. I was, I was lucky to be able to walk away when I felt like I was choosing to walk away. Adam sounds like your knee forced that. I, I, I find, I think that would be a fascinating conversation. Um, but, um, she just, I just want a level playing field. I want her to be able to have the right to pursue a passion and, um, and walk away when she feels ready. She's ready to walk away. That's beautiful. Well, we're glad that you were able to do that. And thank you for blessing us distance runners with a career. That's definitely worth following as a role model for many. So we really appreciate you taking the time with us. Uh, my yeah, pleasure. Thanks, thanks. Good talking to you, Adam. And let's stay in touch. And Chris, good virtually meeting you. Bob Kennedy and Adam Goucher, everyone. That was a fun, fun conversation. Good to hear them going back and forth on what my guess are some conversations that have never been had or and certainly never been had publicly. So I really appreciate them joining this conversation. I appreciate you listening. As always, you can check us out at cleansport.org where you can sign the pledge and encourage others to sign the pledge. And you can also follow us on social media at cleansportco, that's at cleansportco, to join in on the conversation. Otherwise, please keep listening. We'll be coming to you every week, as always, with more content, and we'll talk to you next Sunday.